Good morning, Arbor. My name is Scott. I'm thrilled to be here with people actually in a live room. I'm happy to see at least half of your faces because of the mask we're all wearing and the shadows, but I'm so thrilled that you're here and that actually I might get some feedback and engagement as I go through the message today, see if people are actually laughing at my jokes, more than likely not laughing at my jokes. But even in trying to tell jokes in an empty room is very awkward. Maybe people will follow along today or they'll scroll their phone and find something more interesting. I don't know. But I'm just thrilled that you're here to be with us today back at Arbor. For those of you online, good morning. Thank you for being with us. We continue, as Brian said, our series, Letters to a Young Church. And we've been starting with the book of 1 Thessalonians. And today we're in chapter 3. Our, our through focus theme, the theme that we've been focusing on in this Letters to a Young Church is this. The truths of then are the truths for today. The truths for then are the truths for today. Now, as I started thinking about this, I thought back to what are some sayings that I grew up hearing from my grandpa, my parents, people in my community that are maybe some of these old-time sayings that we're supposed to carry still relevance with us today. And as I share some of these, I am going to be dating myself. And some of our millennials and younger people here will probably be like, I've never heard that. What are you talking about? But I'm going to go through some of them anyway because they entertained me and they brought back some nostalgia. The first saying that my grandpa used to say was, that dog don't hunt. All right? That dog won't hunt. And the idea was that Back in the day when you had to go gather food and hunt food for your table, if you had a good hunting dog, you'd get some food for your table. Well, these days and age, I don't think most people care if their dog can hunt or not hunt. We just want to love our dog. We don't want it to poop in the house, pee on the carpet. We don't want it to bark and jump on people. So the idea of that dog don't hunt, it's not really connectable to a lot today to most people. Here's a good one. Patience is a virtue. Oh, we've all heard that one probably, and I'll tell you that now, after 2020, going to 2021, and everything that's been happening, I, I don't need any more patience. I don't want any more virtue of patience right now. I'm kind of done with everything, and my patience has kind of run out, but it's still a good saying for us to remember. A penny saved is a penny earned, still relevant today. Good stewards, good financial responsibility to begin saving our money for when we're down the road on a rainy day. Here's one my dad like to say to me, and he said, tried to say it once. He said, Scott, if everyone else jumped off a bridge, would you? And then he paused and he said, I guess you've already done that, haven't you? I said, yeah, I would. In fact, I'm the first one to jump and get everybody else to jump. But the idea is, you just follow along with what everybody else is doing. Think for yourself. Um, a watched pot never boils. My youngest daughter, Abigail, heard that once and watched the pot and the water boiled. She goes, that's a lie. It did boil. So... This one I don't like, better to bend than to break. I don't like it only because it makes me think of the Seahawks and their atrocious defense that they struggle with at times, and their answer at the end of every game is, well, we bend, but we don't break. Well, we gave up 500 yards to a third-string quarterback. I won't go there, sorry. I'll get back into my happy place here, sorry. And then the last one, it really resonates with me because my dad and my grandpa both said it would be like, daylight's burning, daylight's burning. What can we get done today that needs to be done today so we don't do it tomorrow? The idea is don't procrastinate. Now, while these truths are old and maybe don't relate as well today, the truths that we're looking at in Thessalonians are much older than these, yet 
They're much more spiritual in nature and significance. And I like these truths because oftentimes in the church, we hear a lot about the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And yet, there's a lack of how do we make these disciples. What we do, after we make a disciple, how do we continue to grow disciples? How do we mentor and care for and love disciple making? The process of discipleship must be anchored in love, care, and concern. And in this letter to the church of Thessalonica, we find these attributes on display by Paul. All right, toward these young believers. He's kind of modeling the way for us. In fact, in chapter one, Paul was expressing gratitude and appreciation for the church in Thessalonica. In chapter two, as Allison said, as a mother, he was reassuring the church of their genuine, authentic love, not manipulated. And in chapter three, we're going to see Paul exude this pride and joy in their steadfast faith and love. It reminds me of maybe if you're a parent and you've had a child move away and go off to college or go live somewhere else in the state or around the world, and at some point, maybe mom and dad give the child a call. And the phone call always starts out, how are things going? Oh, that's great. Sounds like you're doing really good. How are things? And then eventually it starts to conclude, and mom is always the, you know, the loving pet, you know, the loving one going, oh, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm just so glad to hear from you. Don't ever forget you can call us for anything, and we really love you, right, honey? You know, and then dad chimes in. Yeah, I just got to say, man, wow, I'm really shocked. I really can't believe you're doing that good. I mean, we didn't screw up that bad after all. I mean, I never would have guessed you were doing this good of all. I mean, there were some times when I was like, there's no way whatsoever. And here you are doing so good. Mom kindly cuts him off, you know, and says, she doesn't need to hear that or he doesn't need to hear that. But the idea is that while you love getting good news from your kids, it isn't kind of the shocking thing and we find from Paul, it was more of a joyful thing. And so I really want to look into this passage and look at what is it we're getting from Paul. And so we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And remember, our overriding theme is the truths of then are the truths for today. The truths of then are the truths for today. So let's jump right into our main passage. It's a bit lengthy, but we're going to read it all together right now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. Let's pause. Paul and, the church, Paul and his group had been trying to get back to Thessalonians for months, maybe even years. And so he's writing the scene, we really want to come see you. We can't wait and we're stuck in Athens right now. So we continue. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that you are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out the way as you well know. That sounds really cheerful. That's nice. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged because of your faith. 
For now we really live since you are standing firm in the word, in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Do you hear this parental relationship here? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for, you to come, for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and everyone else. Just as ours does for you, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God and our Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all the holy ones. Let's pray quickly. Lord, I pray that you'd move me out of the way. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to listen, and feet that want to go serve you. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope when you read that, you heard the heart of Paul. His love, concern, and compassion, and longing for his church. And again, I ask, what truths then are true today? We're going to look at three truths that I'm going to pull out of this chapter 3 in Thessalonians, three of them. The first one is this, trials are a part of the Christian life. Trials are a part of the Christian life. In verse 3, Paul says he's concerned that the Thessalonians might be unsettled by these trials. What he doesn't express is that he's surprised they're happening. In fact, he goes on and says in verse 4, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. See, in the New Testament, we forget that the New Testament church, the early believers, were rooted and grown in the soil of persecution, tribulation, trials, death, opposition, hatred. That's the soil of the church, people. It wasn't this rich soil of, you know, blessing upon blessing upon blessing. While God blesses us, the soil was rooted in persevering through trials, persecution. That's the history of God's people in the church. And Paul knew this. He knew that in Thessalonians and other places, Christians were so under pressure. That's what the word trial means in the scripture. It's like this pressure, this oppression. That they were fleeing the church or leaving the church because it was just too much to bear. And he did not want this to happen. He did not want the overwhelming pressure to get to this young church in Thessalonica and have them leave. And because he was so concerned about this and he understood that the soil of Christianity is rocked with trials and tribulations, oftentimes by what we do ourselves, sometimes by what's happening to us from the outside. Some things it's what we can control and respond to. Other times it's things that are beyond our control. And both of them bring a layer of desperateness. And so we find in verse 3, sorry, in verse 2, here's Paul's solution. And it should be our solution as we think about this. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and co-worker in God's services and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in the faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. Oh, great. Sign me up for that club right there. Here's your star. Get ready. It's going to get really hard now. 
it's kind of like Paul's telling them, I told you so. It's kind of like my kid, you know, when he got his first BMX bike and he built that first plywood ramp out in the road. And he comes pedaling down the hill and he jumps, boom, and it flips and he crashes and he stands up and he comes in and he's all bruised. They go, I told you how to build that. You didn't listen, did you? I told you that was going to happen. No, it's not that kind of lack of compassion from Paul. It's more of this reminder. A parent putting their arm around a child and saying, hey, remember, this isn't going to be easy, but you can do this. You've got this. And much like a father, Paul's reminded the Thessalonians that I told you trials would happen. And so because of this, continue on. And this is not just a Paul thing. This was a Jesus thing. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples. In this world, you will have trouble, John 16. You will be hated by everyone else because of me, Matthew 10. You'll be handed over to be persecuted, put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me, Matthew 24. The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God, John 16. Again, sign me up. You're like, Scott, why do you, why do you keep hitting on this, emphasizing this? Because we've become weak as a church. We quit so easily and so readily. And we forget that not only the early church, but Jesus himself gave us life through death and persecution. If you go to the book of James, the brother of Jesus, and you read what the brother of Jesus writes in his book, and he says this in James chapter one, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's a not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But we don't like this. We don't want this hardship. We want this idea of Christianity is about blessing and wealth and prosperity. And let me tell you, it can be, and it often is. But it doesn't come without the trials and tribulations and opposition. And if you are living in God, you are going to face that. Because let me tell you something. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against what principalities of darkness. Paul says, put your armor on daily. Kill this body every day. I beat my body to surrender it to Christ. Because the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And he uses trials and tribulations and opposition and pressure to get us to quit. I'm telling you, trials are part of the Christian life. So you can understand Paul's joy when Timothy comes back. And Paul's like, okay, just give it to me straight. I don't, just don't sugarcoat it. What's going on? And Timothy's like, they're doing great. The church is growing. They, they've kept the faith. They're loving others. They're, they're following through what we've taught them. It was an amazing time with them. And the Paul's just relieved like, yes. Because the early Christians understood trials are part of the Christian life. It's the soil in which we grow. James said it, all right? We persevere, all right? Why do we need to be tested so we can persevere? Why do we need to persevere? So that we can grow to maturity in Christ lacking nothing. That's the journey of a Christian. 
Truth number two. Truth number two. Strengthening and encouragement are part of the Christian life. Thank God. Truth two, strengthening and encouraging a part of the Christian life. It's not like Paul is just telling them, this is going to get really hard. You're kind of on your own. Good luck. Good luck out there. Hope things go well for you. All right, take luck. Good care. Sorry, that's a Brian Regan reference. If you don't follow Brian Regan, you don't get it. No. Paul immediately knows this and says, strengthening and encouragement are part of this journey. You don't need to do this alone. Let's go back to verse two again. Look at what Paul says here. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Paul knew that we needed to be strengthened to make us and become stronger. That's what strengthen means. Make and become stronger so that you can persevere and lift more and carry more. Uphold under a bigger burden. He knew that we need to be encouraged, which means to give support, infuse with confidence, breathe hope. He knew that so that we needed that so that we will continue to do that which is difficult to do. It's no different than if you go out and hire a personal trainer. And I can't wait till the day I can actually maybe get a personal trainer because I know I need a little bit of that work done right now. Don't laugh too hard, Hayden. Because when you go to a personal trainer, they're going to work on building your strength, strengthening your core. And over the weeks, as the weeks go by, they add more weight on there. They put more pressure on you to push harder and push through because they know that that strength will help you do more. And then they encourage you with good words, thoughts of the day, motivation to keep you to continue doing what is hard to do in the long term. It's the same spiritually, and Paul understood that. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, but Scott, let's be careful here because the Bible says God can do all things. It's me and God. There's this old Judeo-Christian ethic somehow that's been infused in our culture of pull yourself up by bootstraps. You and God can do anything. That is part of the truth. Part of the truth is that you and God can do everything, but he doesn't intend for you to do it alone with him. He will if he has to, but that's not his desire. His desire is for us to come alongside one another. In fact, if you look at Philippians 4, this is where a lot of people pull this truth out of. He says this. Paul says this in Philippians. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. There it is. There's that truth. But listen to this. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. God and I can do all things, but I'm grateful for your partnership. I'm grateful you came alongside me. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I was set up from Macedonia, not one church shared with me the matter of giving and receiving except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Follow these two concepts that are interlinked in the scripture. First, God is always with us. He will never leave you, never forsake you. He may not pull you out of the trial, but he'll walk through the trial with you. He is better than anything out there. He is the strength and the hope and the reason that we are here. You do not quit relying on God. Secondly, though, is the truth that God's help is not just about him, it's about the body, the body of believers that he's given us. 
It's the whole reason Paul sent Timothy. That's the whole reason he sent Timothy, because he understood they needed to be strengthened and encouraged beyond just the scripture and the truths that Paul was giving them. We need a physical thing. Jesus did this all the time. I'm going to meet your physical need, feed you, heal you, hug you, talk to you, before I give you a spiritual concept to send you on your way. Can you lift a book with just your hand? Probably. Can you lift a bucket of water with just your hand? Depends on how heavy it is. Can you lift a heavy chair with just one hand? Probably not. But if you use your arms, your shoulders, your back, your legs, and you lift it all using all these body parts together, you can lift a heavy burden. That's the body of Christ. All of us working together to strengthen and encourage one another so that we can be steadfast in our love and faith in the face of trials. This timing of this chapter could not be better. And I didn't know this until Brian got up and announced this. We start our group signups this week. I did not know that. And here we are talking about needing strengthening and encouraging through others, and you've got an opportunity to sign up for groups. This is a shameless plug. All right, I'll collect my, uh, my, my royalties later for it. Sign up for a group. Find a, find a tribe, find a people that you can relate to and walk through. I'm in a group that we started three years ago called Aftermath. It's for men that are gone through a divorce, going through a divorce, recovering from a divorce. And I'm telling you what, in those three years, the journey that many of us have been on has been life-changing. Because of God, but also because of a partnership, a brotherhood we've created for one another. You are not called to do life alone. It is not about just you and God. It's about God with me, through me, alongside others. I want to show one more thing about encouraging others. This is really unique to me, and this jumped out to me actually as I was writing this sermon. I want you to notice something very powerful in this passage. There's one more layer of encouraging others. Look at verses 7 through 9. I want you to see this. 1 Thessalonians 7 through 9, 3, 7 through 9. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all of our distress and persecution, we, Paul, his group, were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Are you kidding me? Paul sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage the church he was worried about, and in return, the way the church was living for God strengthened and encouraged Paul, their earthly spiritual father. How much more should we as believers pause and think, is my earthly life giving joy and pride to my Father in heaven? If he were to send someone to check in on me, would that person go back and report to Jesus and he'd go, yes, that's why I died. That's what I want. Paul, worried about this church, gets encouraged himself. And folks, that's how it's supposed to work. The way we live our lives for Christ is like this river of life 
that bubbles over and infuses other people with encouragement and hope and strength to go on and keep going on in the face of trials and hardship and pressure and all the nastiness that happens around us. How much more motivated should we be to impress our Father in heaven by how we live? If you have kids, you know how much you love hearing stories about things they've done. I tell my kids, there's nothing you could ever do that's going to impress me more than how much I love you already. So don't get me wrong that we have to earn God's love, that we can do anything that's going to bring more glory to him. But here's the idea. God's heart is made joyful. God's heart is made bright when he sees his people on earth persevering, struggling, pushing through, and remaining steadfast. Finally, Paul shares with us what he wants the Thessalonians to do in the midst of this persecution and trials and tribulations. It's our third truth. Our third truth is this. Living in love and being steadfast are part of the Christian life. Living in love and being steadfast are part of the Christian life. Let's look at verse 12 in chapter 3. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Very quickly, three elements right out of this, these verses. One, increase your love to others through Christ. Strengthen your hearts in Christ so you can live blameless and holy for Christ. Let me say this again. Increase your love to others through Christ. Strengthen your hearts in Christ so you can live blameless and holy for Christ. Now listen, none of us are ever going to achieve pure blameless and holiness on earth in our earthly bodies. Rather, we are only found blameless and holy and pure when we stand before God because of Jesus, because of what he did for us. But that doesn't change the fact that we are called to live in a way that brings honor and glory to our Savior, to our God. You may be saying today, Scott, I've tried to keep the faith and you don't know how many things have happened to me. I'm kind of just done. I'm doubting. I'm really walking away. I just, I'm about ready to throw it in. I get it. Maybe you feel you're far from the steadfast faithfulness and love that you should have. I understand. But remember this. God is always pursuing. He's like the shepherd that goes out to look for the one lost sheep. He's like the woman looking for the one lost coin. He's like the father sitting on his porch waiting for his runaway son to come home. Ever, st- ever faithful, ever watching, ever searching. Why? Because you are of value to him. He wants your love and faith. Maybe you're listening today or you're here today and you're like, you know, I don't know about this whole Christian thing. I don't even know if I really believe all this. Let me tell you this. You are never too far from God. You never have too many doubts that Jesus doesn't invite you in. There's nothing you've done that he can't eradicate and clean. 
He wants you. If you're not a believer and you feel your past is too tainted, know this. All have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yet, all who call on him shall be saved. This is a passage for all of us. If you want to bring joy to God your Father, you turn to him. You give your life and live a steadfast life of faith, love, and truth. So what truths then are true for us today? In chapter 3, in this personal letter to the Thessalonians, what truths then are true for us today? One, trials are part of our Christian life. Two, strengthening and encouragement are part of the Christian life. Thank God. And three, living in hope and being steadfast are part of the Christian life. I believe Paul is so passionate about this because of a story long before Paul ever wrote this letter. Long before Paul was known as Paul, he was known as Saul. Saul traveled around the country murdering, persecuting Christians. And there's a story in Acts 7 where Saul, before he became Paul, is witness to the stoning of an apostle named Stephen. And if you go read this story about Stephen, he had just got done preaching, and it so angered the people of that town that they dragged him outside the city. It says they threw their coats at the feet of Saul, and they began to stone Stephen. And as Saul stood there and watched this happening, he listened and heard and saw as an eyewitness to Stephen, this man of God, Standing there as he's dying, shout, Behold, I see my Jesus, the Son of God, standing at the right hand of the throne. Now listen to this. There is no other place in all of Scripture where Jesus is said to be standing at the right hand of God. It says he is seated at the right hand of God. And as this apostle is steadfastly showing love. You know how I know he's showing love? Because the other thing he says is, Father, do not hold this against them. And then he echoes the words of Jesus on the cross, they do not know what they do. Is that love? Is that faith? And as he's getting stoned, and he is dying for his beliefs, Jesus stands up out of his throne, and he applauds. I see you, Stephen. I got you. Triumphal entry into heaven. Come home. And it was a celebration. It was a joyful day because his servant brought him joy and his steadfast love. And he strengthened the heart of others around him. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that imprinted on Paul. I guarantee you that when he writes these letters, he flashes back to that moment. It's one of those stakes in life that Paul said, if only I can leave this earth in that manner. Arbor, in the midst of our trials, may we bring God our Father joy by strengthening and encouraging one another to live in love and be steadfast in faith. Let's pray.